Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. The purpose of the spring and fall practice, that's what we're in right now. We're in the spring practice, what we call it at our church, is to teach us what Jesus would do in a given situation if he were here today. But so far, when we've talked about worship, we've primarily focused on the writings of Paul. So today what we're going to do is we're going to say and talk about what did Jesus have to actually say about worship? So Paul's written about it. Surprisingly, Jesus said very little about worship. But what he did say about worship mattered. It's very important. So our mission at Believer's Church is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Our first core value, we have four core values, is formation. And this means to become students of Jesus or to become disciples of Jesus. We become students of Jesus through the practice of what is referred to as spiritual disciplines. So if it's your first time with us today, every spring and every fall, we take four to ten weeks to focus on a spiritual discipline with the goal of deeply implementing this into our lives in the way that Jesus would if Jesus were here today. Spiritual disciplines include, but are not limited to, prayer, scripture reading, worship, fasting, serving, giving, hospitality, practicing Sabbath, and much more. In the fall, if you were here this past fall, we focused on giving. The place that we've been the last two weeks prior today has been worship. That's our focus. In week one, and you can go back and listen to the podcast, in week one, we defined what worship was. Last week, we talked about worship as not simply being a Sunday thing, but worship as a lifestyle. And again, what we're going to be talking about today is the approach that Jesus has to worship. So what I'd like to do is share a little bit of background about our story, because we're not going to read the entirety of the story. So I want to give you a little bit of context. We are going to be in John chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there, it'll be on the screen here in a minute as well. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you want to turn there, if you want to jump on your phone, however it is that you want to look it up. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen here in just a minute. So here's a little bit of the background. Early in his ministry, Jesus and the disciples stopped in Samaria to rest, which would have been a customary thing to stop along the way. It would have not been a customary thing to stop along in Samaria. More on that in just a minute. Uh, Jesus was at the well and stayed there, and his disciples went to find food. That's the scene so far. So he's resting, and a woman of the town came to draw water. And as this woman came to draw water, Jesus asked her for a drink. Again, pretty normal thing. Man comes to the well, a woman is drawing, uh, uh, drawing water. Pretty normal to ask her if he can have a drink. Now, what is abnormal about this situation is the fact that Jesus is a Jew, 
and the woman is a Samaritan, and the Jews and the Samaritans have very, very little, if no, runnings in with one another. More on that in a minute as well. So Jesus is able, all of a sudden, after just a few minutes of talking to this woman, to tell her all of these obscure details about her life that he has, or no stranger, has any business knowing whatsoever. She had been married five times, and the man that she was currently with was not her husband. Not only is she amazed at the knowledge that Jesus has, you know, how in the world does it, do you know this? And what she's going to go on to say in the passage is, well, clearly you're a prophet. But not only that he knows this, but more importantly, that he's able to look past the shame and the darkness that she feels, not only in her own life, but also what the village has poured upon her because of her struggles. And what he is doing is he, in, in, in this moment, is offering a fresh start or a new life. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, and I'm going to look at verses 19 through 16. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 16, and we're reading from the Common English Bible. So the woman said, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Obviously, you know these things about me that you have no business knowing whatsoever. She didn't even think, who have you been talking to? She knows that clearly there's something special about Jesus. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming, oh, and by the way, is here, when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him in this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ or the Christos. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am. This person that you're looking for, this Messiah, I am the one who speaks to you. So Jesus uses this story that's often dubbed as the woman at the well, that's typically what we call it, to reveal compassion, give hope to the outsider, spread the good news, and as we will see today, teach us about what authentic worship is supposed to look like. Now out of all of the lessons, that, the three lessons that we've looked at so far, I believe that this one is going to be the most important, at least from a scripture perspective, because this is from the very mouth of Jesus. This is what worship is supposed to look like, because we've already talked about the fact that we have preconceived notions about what worship is supposed to look like. Well, of course, I go to church on a Sunday morning, you know, every Sunday. For some people, it's once a month. For some people, it's a few times a year. Some of you came in this morning for the baptism, and this is the only time you've been in church in recent memory. But in your mind, or in a lot of people's minds, often we associate this with the idea of worship. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to expound much further on this idea and show us what authentic worship is supposed to look like. 
So three observations that we learn from Jesus about worship. So I want you to think about this. If there is something that Jesus has to teach us about worship, it's these three things. The first two, we're going to go over pretty quickly. The third one, we're going to spend just a little bit of time on because that's where everything is. Okay, so what is it that Jesus teaches us about worship? The first is this, and we've already talked about this a little bit. Worship cannot be limited to a place. Worship cannot be limited to a place. We talked about this when we talked about worship as a lifestyle. Worship in the shower. Worship when you're driving down the road. Worship when you're at home cleaning and you're listening to worship music. You get in the Word in the morning at 6 a.m. God speaks to your heart. You're, you're all of a sudden, I walked out in the lobby just a minute ago, and I was weeping after the baptisms. That's worship. So we worship all the time. At least we should understand the call on our lives to worship all the time. It's not all of a sudden I'm getting in here with the band or whatever kind of church it is that you might go to. I'm, I'm getting in there and now I'm going to worship. We talked about a preparation for worship before we ever walk into a building so that we have worshiped all morning before we're ever even here. So a little bit more about the Samaritans. The Samaritans are half Jew and half Gentile. The Samaritans have their own temple. They have their own copy of the Torah and their own religious system. The Jews also have their own place of worship, but the message of Jesus changes that. This is what it says in verse 21. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, because you're trying to separate these places that we worship, that the time is coming when people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I am going to broaden what your understanding of worship is supposed to look like. He is saying a time is coming when worship has nothing to do with where you are and everything to do with who you're with. And if Jesus is here, and if you've been forgiven, and the grace of God is pouring out through you on a regular basis, especially when there's the potential that you face the shame that this woman has, that spirit of worship, when we talked about last week, mercy as a starting point, it has to be there. And it has to be there at all times. So what he's trying to say is, listen, I know that you guys worship there. I know that we worship here. I know there are all of these ideas. I know there's this religious system. And some of you have grown up in a very confounded, strict religious system. Jesus is saying, I'm going much further than that. And you need to pay attention directly to what I'm saying about this. Worship cannot be contained into a physical space. Worship must be an embodiment of who we are at all times. Okay, so worship cannot be limited to a space. That's number one. I think we're already there. We understand that. But then next, and this is really important, Jesus also teaches that worship is a product of revelation. Worship is a product of of revelation. Little does this woman know in this moment, in her darkness, in her shame, I can't even imagine if she, as she carries this bucket, not knowing necessarily how far that morning, you know, she's carrying this bucket, what her state of mind is and what she is feeling. And maybe this man that she's living with, she's just been in an abusive, you know, angry, you know, go get the water in like this incredibly hateful way, and she's carrying that shame, having no idea that this revelation is about to be right across from her. 22 says, you and your people worship what you don't know. 
We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. So at this point in history, the Samaritans have access to some truth. Okay, they have access to some truth. To the Jews, God revealed the truth through the revelation of Jesus. So for the Jews even, this is difficult to embrace because this is what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Later in John's gospel, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Zoe is what that means. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is still really difficult for a lot of people that want to say, well, this is my truth and this is your truth. And this may be truth according to what you care about and truth. And I'm not saying that we don't tolerate other things and respect other things, but Jesus is very clear. This is the way, what you've been looking for, the struggles that you're going through, the shame that you feel, the darkness in your life, the revelation, what you need, it is here in this moment right now. And you have the opportunity to embrace it. So revelation in our lives, even in worship today, means that our eyes are being opened to something new. A person who struggles with shame about their past. A person who has a deep level of anxiety that they just can't shake. A person who has just lost their job. A person who does not believe in God or does not believe in the Christian God. Revelation is the idea that one day I saw things one way, but my eyes have been opened to something that is completely new. And I remember when this happened. And listen, it's been layers over time. Okay, it's not been in one particular event, maybe salvation or conversion was. But there's this process involved. We often call it sanctification. And it means that over time, I'm seeing more and God is revealing more and God is revealing more. And a lot of times I don't understand it. But Jesus is saying what this does is it produces worship within us. Today, someone's eyes may be open to Jesus. The redemptive forgiveness that is there. The cleansing of the soul that is there. The fresh start that is there. That provides a reason to worship. Someone in here right now, through the access and the power of the Holy Spirit, your eyes may be open and you may be revealed to a completely new world that you never knew existed. Okay, so worship is, a, is, is not about a, a place. And worship is also about revelation. So these first two points, what they're giving us is the where and the what of worship. But the most important thing that Jesus gives us, and the most important thing I believe that you need to understand about worship is that Jesus is providing the how. He's providing the how. And this is what he says. It's very simple. He says, worship, and he says it several times, is in spirit and it's in truth. Okay, worship is in spirit and it's in truth. What in the world does that mean? Verses 23 and 24, this is what he says. And listen, as we read into this story, it just gets better and better and better. And some of you are going to be able to look into your own struggles and your own darkness and the way that you came in here this morning, carrying whatever level of guilt, whatever level of depression, whatever level of hurt, and your eyes are going to be open to the reality that this Jesus really loves you. And that's just a beautiful thing. Every time I walk in this room, I believe there's going to be a miracle. Every single time I walk into this room, I have an anticipation that it doesn't matter what you came in here believing, and it doesn't matter what you came in here struggling with, 
that the mistake that we've made as a society is we've put God on the back burner to the point that he's as small as paying our bills. He's as small as taking our kids to the park. He's as small as shopping for this. And we put him in this place where we don't access any of the power that is at our disposal in any given moment. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's, that's a confidence that he approaches this woman with. So worship is in spirit and truth. But the time is coming, he tells her. And it's here. It's not just coming, it's here. When true worshipers, now what in the world does that mean? True worshipers opposed to false worshipers? Opposed to, I just kind of understand worship. True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit. And it's necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. So a cool thing to mention, God is actually looking for a certain kind of worshiper. As you're saying, well, does this mean I, I, I hold my hands up? Or does this mean that I, that I perfectly recite the liturgy? Or does this mean that I, that I have it on the page in the hymnal? Or does this mean that I do it this way or that way? Or all of these different ways that we've expressed worship over centuries and centuries and centuries? Jesus is actually looking for a certain kind of worshiper, and he actually refers to this as true worship. So we can understand in 2023, we can understand what true worship is actually supposed to look like. He makes it clear to us. So the person who does this worships in spirit, pneuma, and in truth, aletheia, two nouns, one proposition. Very simply put, I'm going to go a little deeper here. John's gospel, up to this point, what he's done up to chapter 4, is he has developed a theology of pneuma, or a theology of spirit, a theology of wind, a theology of breath. It all means the same thing. One commentator suggests that Jesus is invested with the Spirit and born-again believers are born of the Spirit. This is not John's baptism of water. It's Jesus' baptism of Spirit-filled fire and salvation. It's a completely new way of understanding. Numa. And Aletheia. So this provides a way for the woman at the well to understand that this Jesus on this day, regardless of where you are today, fresh start, completely new way of life. You can be washed clean. Now, how is this possible? How can this happen? Through, going back to the passage, the revelation of truth, aletheia, ultimate truth, that Jesus is providing. Her eyes, literally in this moment, around this dusty well, on a hot day, in which she can, listen, Jesus is going to hit you when you completely unexpect it. You know, because this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, as, as we've talked about before, well, we're getting just a little bit older. We're in our early 30s. We have small kids. It's time to go to church. Time to raise them the right way. And like we have these plans that we try. Listen, Jesus is going to hit some of you guys sometimes. And he's going to hit some of you today. You did not come here for this. But you are going to leave with this. If you're paying attention to what the Spirit is doing. You're just today. You just went to the well. It was no different than any other day. 
And Jesus is going to transform what is within you because you know for the first time your eyes are being opened to the problems that you have, there is a solution. The brokenness because of your mom and dad and the way that you were treated. The hurt that you have felt from friends and the rejection that you have felt in all areas of society. For the first time in your life, you're going to recognize that he is bigger than your pain. And that he is bigger than your struggles. The spirit is in this room right now. It's moving. If you can feel it. There are people today that need to hear this story. You want to know something? I need this story Every single day. So worship in spirit and truth. What in the world does this mean? So this is what the woman says. The woman said, because she, she's, she, she's feeling that conviction, but she wants to get a little clever. Okay? So she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. The Christos, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, listen, it's great, prophet. You're telling us all these things. We get it. It's wonderful that you're coming with this information. We know that we need it. We've heard about it. So thank you so much. And you know what Jesus says? The one that you speak of, the one that you're looking for, the one that this broken village needs, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I could have went to other people. I could have went to the wealthy. I could have went to the men in a patriarchal society. But I chose when my hungry disciples, they were starving. They went scattering for food. I said, I'm going to go sit down at this well and I'm going to see what happens. And he knew exactly what was going to happen. When we worship together, we worship in spirit, pneuma. We are seeking the spirit. We are growing in the spirit. We are being consumed by the spirit and asking the spirit to move mountains. Do you believe that God simply provides nice little religious services for crazy people Or do you believe that God moves mountains? And that's the difference in what's going on. We are free to do this. To receive this. Because again, the revelation of the truth is available. And the truth is good. It's liberating. It makes us new. It gives us a fresh start. It restores marriages. It restores broken homes. It puts messes back together every single day. Because that's how good he is. Now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to go a little bit deeper. The woman put down her water jar and she went into the city. Truth took her breath away. It absolutely took her breath away. She didn't know what else to do. She comes there thinking, I have to return back home to this man. My relationship history isn't going very well so far. And I've got to go back into this situation. Maybe she just went to draw water to get away. You ever do that? Take a drive when you and your spouse are in a fight? Not me, just thinking maybe you guys do. All right. But you're in that situation. and Maybe she's just saying, he's not going to shut up. Maybe he's physically abusive. I'm, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to draw some water. We need some water anyway. Maybe they had a whole house full of water. But I'm going down to the... So she, she doesn't go back home. She goes and tells everybody. She said, come and see this man who has told me everything that I've ever done. Can you imagine? I still to this day, 41 years old, there are still things in my mind that I think about that I'm, I really wish... I wouldn't have done that. 
You know those deal breakers whenever you get married? I thought as I get to know Beth just a little bit more, as I reveal more and more, this would be the thing she would break up with me over. This would be the thing you've thought about this that the relationship might end with. And it didn't. But she doesn't even have to pour it out as shameful and hard as it is. Jesus in a compassionate way is able to say, this is what's going on in your life. He told me everything that I'd done. Could, and this is a rhetorical question. Could this man be the Christ? This is it. This is real. This is life change. This is everything. This is it right here. Reading a little bit further into 39 and 42. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's words that she testified. Keep in mind that this woman is a social outcast. Keep in mind that this is not the person in the village that you're going to take spiritual advice from. And she's doing this. He told me everything that I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay for two more days. Thank goodness that Jesus isn't like Matt Smith. Well, you know, I've got my planner here, and I'm supposed to be in Prestonsburg on Monday, and then I'm supposed to be back here. I've got this appointment. He drops everything, and they have a two-day Holy Spirit revival. And people just start, I mean, and the disciples are probably thinking, we're still kind of far from home. We got some food, but we don't have a lot of food, and people are pouring into the streets, coming to know Jesus, and it's this revival. How could they leave? How could they walk away from a situation like that? You know, we're just sitting down. This is just a stop. We're just going to stop at the well. We're going to get some water. We're going to have some food. Then we're going to be on our way. The disciples don't even want to go in that direction because they're going to have to go through a Samaritan village. We don't like them. They don't like us. We don't need to go in that direction. And this is the outcome. Two more days of just Holy Spirit nonstop revival. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, they were able to say at this point, we no longer believe because of what you said. You came in, you were the initiator, you gave us this message, you told us this wonderful story, but we no longer believe because of what you said. We've heard it for ourselves. What that means is that it has trickled deep down into those places. And what Jesus is saying to some of you right now through the power of the Holy Spirit is that if you will just reach out to me, everything is going to be okay. And this is what the enemy's doing, right? No, it's, no, it's not. Because this is what Twitter says about Christians. No, it's not, because I'm not going to become one of them. I'm not into the institutionalized church. I've already tried to tell you that. Spiritual, but not religious. And Jesus is saying, put that garbage aside. Just reach out. Doesn't matter what your friends in high school think. You're happy. You're the one that's going to have it all. Doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been in church or how angry you are at church. It's brand new, it's a fresh start. We no longer believe because of what you said, for we've heard it for ourselves and we know. Did they say we think? Did they say we feel? We know that this is the Savior of the world. We know that this is the way of life. Is church attendance and religious affiliation declining in the United States? Yes, but now we're going to bring it back up. 
Because we know. We know we don't think. We're not speculating. We know that this is the way. We don't need culture to affirm that. We don't need right-wing or left-wing politics to affirm that. We know that this is the Savior of the world because the truth and the Spirit is here. And that's not something that you can just replicate by religious involvement or self-help psychology. It's real. And it's here for this entire village. Just keep in mind, this is a village full of Samaritans. So let's break down worship according to Jesus. There isn't one worship style. Contemporary, traditional, liturgical, spontaneous. There isn't one worship style. Worship can happen anywhere and everywhere, and it should. Worship is a product of what God has revealed about Jesus, and worship is what has happened through the movement of the Holy Spirit in the presence of truth. Now, what does the Spirit love? Confession. Repentance. Reconciliation. Adoration. And above all, surrender. So as God moves in this place, and as God moves in our hearts right now, I want to close with this key element of the story that I believe is sometimes overlooked. And if you happen to come in here this morning with some form of struggle or some form of resistance, I want you to really get this part right here. The woman came to the well to draw water. We, we know that's why. But when she leaves, and I've never heard a pastor say this before, commentator, anybody, she leaves the water bucket behind. I, maybe you've heard, I've never thought about that. But when she comes to draw water and she runs away, she leaves the bucket behind. I believe this bucket for drawing water is symbolic for everything else in that moment she is leaving behind. Because when she ran back to town, she left the shame, the guilt, the insecurity, and her sense of insignificance behind. And that is the good news. And that is the reality. If you'll just let go, if you'll, if you'll just stop resisting, if you'll just stop holding on, the peace will overflow. And here it is. She is able to worship because she realizes for the first time in her life that God really is bigger than her pain. He's bigger than your insecurity. He's bigger than your fear. He's bigger than your doubt. He's bigger than your bitterness. All of those things. And through the, con the conversation, Jesus and this woman, through the conversation, a social leper, rejected by her own people, becomes a gospel agent. A woman full of hurt becomes a woman full of promise and a community misfit becomes the voice of God 
for, a, for an entire rejected ethnic group. And here today is the cry of Jesus' worship. This is the cry of Jesus' worship right here. Give me this water. So that I will never be thirsty again. We continue to go to all these other sources. And we need more and more and more and more. But when you get an ounce of Jesus, when you get just a little bit of an authentic experience of what it means to be forgiven and to walk in the newness of life, you're able to shed all of that weight and all of that harm and all of that hurt away because He is that good. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, there may be some of you in here uh, this morning and you can relate to what that feeling is, uh, what you're carrying through a broken relationship, maybe through some poor decisions that you're making right now. Maybe it's that nothing ever feels like it's going right. Or maybe in your life you've had a large, large dose of religiosity but never even a single amount of Jesus. If you're in here this morning, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're in that place, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Anyone in here this morning? That's good? Thank you, sir. Anyone else in here? Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else is struggling this morning? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to release that. And it may be that you need to come down to the altar and talk to someone. It may be that you need to kneel down on your own and pray. It may mean that you need to kneel down where you're seated right now. But I just want you to know, even if you need to grab the person beside you that you care about so much, that I am 100% convinced in this moment that if we are going to move forward in the direction that we are supposed to be, that there are some things that need to be left in this room today. And that is my prayer. Father, we come to you today thanking you for your goodness, thanking you for uh, the Spirit and for the power of truth, and Father, for the Word that just works its way into our heart, into our lives. God, we pray that you pour the Holy Spirit out upon us right now, Father. And if there are marriages that are struggling, God, if there are teenagers who are struggling, if, there is, if it's mental health issues, Father, if it's doubt, if it's anxiety, if it's insecurity about trying to step into a calling, Father, whatever it may look like, Father, if there's something around the corner that we just don't know how to approach, Father, pour us out this morning and let the Spirit of God pour in. Father, give us living water in this moment. Amen. 
We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.